John, I'm being interviewed on a podcast. I'll call you when I'm done. All right, pal? Oh, nice. Have a good interview. Voice first podcast. Is it out live? Yeah. Yeah. Voice first. I'll talk to you in a minute. On this episode of the Voice First podcast, we talk with Andy Rayburn. We'll be shipping uh, hundreds of pounds of medical cannabis to the market. It'll be the first uh, major supply on the Ohio market. CEO of Buckeye Relief, a medical cannabis company in Northeast Ohio. So mm-hmm. at that point, we had 385 people, and we were doing $235 million a year in revenue, and I sold the company. He has over 20 years of CEO experience. What are principles that over your entire CEO career are most important? And then just in Buckeye Relief, what have really kind of surfaced? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, first is to always play for excellence is to try to do every aspect of the business at the best level. And if the best-in-class level that we're aware of is not that great, we try to create it. Uh, and we have that historically and here. I don't say that. National players come in and see this place, and they're like, never seen anything like this before. How did a little place in Ohio end up state-of-the-art? And I'm saying, well, I listen to you guys a lot. And then we put a lot of things together and add them to it. Second for me has always been to be like simplistically direct and uh, not play around and play games or bluff or do a lot of that kind of stuff. Just be really straightforward. That saves a lot of time, mm-hmm. a lot of confusion. And I mentioned the two others is, is to have everybody in the company customer focused. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yep. the people trimming the plants... We constantly remind them, you know, those plants are going to be in somebody's house who has MS someday, soon, because the turnover of the product is fast. Yeah. Uh, or somebody with Crohn's disease. Or somebody that's uh, got really miserable cancer pain. Mm-hmm. Or any of the other 21 allowed illnesses in Ohio. Try to tie them into the fact that they're not sitting there droning away, cutting these plants all day. They're producing something of tremendous medical benefit. And the final is um, provide an environment, uh, both physical and more importantly, uh, culturally, that will motivate people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've always said that my two strengths are customers and, and motivating uh, employees at my company. And I'm not that strong in other areas. So the, I guess the final one would be, um, you know, knowing where you're strong, focusing there and where you're weak, get strength, mm-hmm. bring people in that are strong in those areas. So your supply chain company... What was your turnaround? What were the numbers going in and what were the numbers going out? Some of the numbers were people going from 20 to 385, sales going from 8 to 235 million. Well, they're all resulting numbers from from the overall philosophy, which is trying to do things at the highest level of excellence yeah. possible. So if you do it well and you do it right at every stage of the business, then the bottom line develops itself. Uh, how to be a good CEO, right? So I'm not here to write the book on how to be a good CEO, but I do know that two things have worked in my career. Number one is having everybody in the company customer focused. In this case, the ultimate customer is the patient in Ohio. The intermediary customer is the dispenser. How do you keep them happy? You keep them happy with a top quality product, which is what we're trying Mm -hmm. to grow in that pharmaceutical environment that you just saw. Keep them happy with top quality service which means everything's on time, labeled right, shipped correctly, packed correctly, Mm -hmm. 
in a, in a professional package and you keep your price competitive with the market. And those are constants from my first business to every business that I've run. What is one thing that you've done to make it so that your employees have been able to accomplish more working together without you, like you said, kind of self-starting? Realize that everybody at every position in, in every company has ideas about who, how to do stuff better. Not many companies tap those ideas or bring those ideas out. We always try to, you know, give those ideas a way forward and then do the hard part, which is implementing them. Mm -hmm. You've been CEO for so many decades. You probably, you know, definitely had really hard times that you had to go through and then, you know, get behind it. And what would we like the things that you, especially like as young people to advise us to, avoid and watch out for and what were the things that actually you know, helped you go through your hardest time as your CEO? You know, as future CEOs, you got to be the one who sometimes ultimately deals or often or maybe usually deals with the hardest obstacles and they can be heavy. I mean, they can weigh heavy. You lose a customer, you lose a bunch of sales, and you've gone from uh, black to red, and you got to get something done, but you don't know what the heck it's going to be right now. you got to figure that out. The answer's not always right there. You know, it's very rarely right there. If you get all troubled and worried, and, you know, everybody will know that, okay, and they're going to get even more worried. Mm -hmm. But if you maintain, you know, a positive, confident approach, to approaching the hardest of problems, knowing that you're going to come up with a solution by working with your team, uh, that'll motivate your team to get through those hard times. So it's basically uh, not letting it get to you, continuing to fight the fight until you get through it. You know, an example I use, there's a habit. You know, a lot of people, when, when, those, when those things hit, when things are, when the crisis hits, you can get into a mode where, um, okay, you guys don't use any paper anymore, but you know, where you, you just start like shifting piles of paper from one side of the desk to the other. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you're basically not doing anything. You're stagnant. Mm -hmm. If you go stagnant, you're dead in crisis or otherwise, but especially in crisis. If you keep, you know, driving forward and attacking the problem and attacking and attacking and attacking, solution will come forward pretty much all the time. There's been some real challenges um, in the short period of time that we've been in business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've tackled them all. And it's because, you know, the team is awesome and uh, everybody's got an enthusiastic, positive attitude here. How has your role changed from quarter one, 2016, sure. to yeah. now? That's a, so it's a great question. So, you know, in the beginning, it was me and then my partner, Scott, who is uh, an old friend of mine, came in, came over to my house uh, in early 16, sat down and he said, look, I've heard what you're doing. Because I was really quiet about it. One of the changes, I was virtually silent in 16. Because in 16, medical cannabis in Ohio was a whole different concept than it is now. It's almost universally accepted now, except for some people that will never. Uh, so Scott said, look, um, I've heard what you're doing and you know I'm going to have to be part of this with you. And I said, well, okay. And so we took off together. So we put a lot of miles on. You know, that year was mostly putting our team together, not only cultivation advisor, but our application advisor, a terrific company, uh, law firm called Vicente, 
Cedarburg, based in Denver, but national, uh, real leaders in the field. Uh, we had a dispensary advisor that we're still waiting to hear about a dispensary, two dispensary uh, appeals. Uh, we have a extractor processor advisor mm-hmm. still waiting to hear about that application as well, uh, which will be over the next couple months for that, a couple next couple weeks for the dispensary answer. Also started to roll into 17 and start to put together some members of our current operating team who we started to hire at later 17. And uh, then in early 18, uh, we started to build out our team in my offices in uh, Chagrin Falls. We accumulated, uh, I think we had about 16 people uh, working in that office through into July of mm-hmm. eight of this year of 18 in an office made for five people. We've, Real we startup a, environment. It was definitely a startup environment. Yeah. It still is with a dozen of them uh, working around one table. At one point I said, look, you know, you guys, we can get some dividers and stuff if you want. They looked at me and said, no, no, we're fine here. And they were packed yeah. in about three times as tightly as we are sitting uh-huh. around this table. <laughs> Team got to know each other real well, real yeah. fast. So it was it was a really interesting and ex- very exciting environment. It's electric. It was and is. And so uh, we completed this building in July and everybody moved over here. So we're here now. We're up to almost uh, 50 people here now. But So the transitions are from doing everything and then doing everything with Scott you know, slowly the team builds, so we delegate, you know, responsibly this, like, you know, media and community outreach to uh, Leslie. Uh, we have our sales director, Sam, now. We have a new position of inside sales backup. Uh, Alicia started a few weeks ago. We put on an operations director a few weeks ago. We, of course, built out our cultivation team uh, early this year, mm-hmm. which we pulled uh, from non-cannabis industries, mm-hmm. horticultural mm-hmm. companies, mm-hmm. botany, bot- botanical companies, uh, mostly growing vegetables and uh, herbs and stuff. So we, we purposely mixed our cannabis experience advisors mm-hmm. with non-cannabis horticultural professionals to get the best of both worlds and combine them. It went from like hands-on everything to... You know, now I have hands-on very little. Putting people in the right place. Putting people in the right place, picking the right people. Probably the the most important thing of all is is uh, building out the team with the right chemistry mm-hmm. and then providing the opportunity for them to flourish, for them to grow, for them to make their own decisions, for them to act independently. That's pretty rare in the corporate world for yeah. sure, but even in private business. Private business owners, and I've been one for you know, many decades now, especially successful ones, tend to start to understand that they're geniuses and that they know everything better than anybody. Uh, the longer I'm in business, the less I realize I know, and the more important team you know is to me. I'm not supposed to say this. I'm youth-oriented. I was really young when I started running my own business. I mean, I was not prepared to do that, but... I had worked for other businesses, gotten beaten up, you know, knew what not to do, mm-hmm. and you know worked with the team that I had and, and built, try to do things better than anybody. It turned out in that industry, we did do that. We ended up being the largest in the country, privately held. And in this business, we've achieved a, a leadership position in Ohio so far. And yeah. a large part of it is that by bringing the right people in and letting them go and letting them uh, you know, exercise their ideas. Now, they do make mistakes sometimes. 
you know, there are little failures, but as long as you learn as much as possible from those, then it's worth it. So how does the CEO and COO dynamic work? Uh, in this case, uh, will seek advice from me sometimes uh, on issues he's facing, and I'll give him in, you know, my advice. Then he'll ignore it and he'll do whatever he wants. To do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He just needed okay. that to build his confidence. Yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, kidding, of <laughs> course. Yet. But I'm very lucky to have a CEO, COO of the caliber of uh, my partner, because. Um, he is really, really good at a whole lot of stuff that I'm not very good at at all. So he really has grown uh, to be a bit of an expert in cultivation. He runs teams. You know, he uh, is the day-to-day uh, manager. And that frees me up to do other things, to look at other opportunities in the market to represent us nationally and internationally. Uh, you know, right now, today, I came from meetings about uh, putting together an organization in the state of Ohio for uh, level one cultivators. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's an important industry mm-hmm. dynamic. Okay. Like does a community. That, a community. Yeah, for sure. A community um, uh, that will, you know, the ultimate mission of that group is going to be to figure out what we at level one cultivators can do to make this market better for patients in Ohio. That doesn't particularly promote Buckeye relief, or build our bottom line at all. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it as a contribution to the Ohio industry. Yeah, So rising tide raises all ships. uh, That's a very common phrase in this industry. And and it's very, very true in this industry. So could you give us a five minute uh, brief history of your previous CEO experience and then how Mm -hmm. you came to start Buckeye Relief? Sure, my brief background uh, leading to being a CEO, which I have been for 37 years. I had not taken any business courses, nor did I have any management experience directly. But I was a French theater major, and our finals were to participate in a play. And I had this really close relationship with the professor, and I took three courses from him. I did a fourth play for him at his request in senior spring, so I was the director. Being the director of a play is like running a business in mm-hmm. a lot of different ways because you have to coordinate tech and the actors and the lighting and the sound and the location and you have to you know, run a budget, pull the whole team together to make things successful. I woke up the day after graduation and decided that I had to do something, so I got a job in California because I wanted to live in California. And I worked in the wine industry for a couple of years. I got shoved around by a few corporations. And at 26, I moved back to Cleveland. I took over this industrial distribution company. And we sold a bunch of parts to truck makers. There were uh, headquarters in Cleveland and a branch in Indiana. We had 20 people. We were doing $8 million in revenues. We grew the company for 18 years. In 99, my kids were um, six, four, and four. And I uh, was faced with a decision whether I'd continue to have all of my net worth on the line on paper, like any company, at some risk at all times, or sell. So I chose to sell. At that point, we had 385 people, and we were doing $235 million a year in revenue. And I sold the company. So I was liquid for the first time in my life. Started my private investment company, which is Big Game Capital. We started to invest in things like baseball and art and music festivals and then more traditional stuff. I was not actively operating any of those after a while. 
started to get bored, started to look at the cannabis industry in 2012, started following it, started to get to know it a little bit and learn more and more about it. And the more I learned, the more fascinating it was. In 2015, you mentioned the um, campaign in Ohio that was flawed that I did not participate in. Yeah, because I know a lot of people's big concerns is they thought it was consolidated amongst a few people when in reality the best way to go about it was making it more open source to a lot of people who are interested in getting into it. It was kind of down to just 10 companies to produce it. Exactly. And it was a stated monopoly. So many people like me that were in favor of medical marijuana voted against it and lost 65-35%, which was exactly where recreational use stood in the polling in Ohio in 2015. I talked to the group. I did not like them, so I did not participate in that effort. But I participated in an effort in early 16, January, with a group called MPP, which is the leading 501c3, that has taken about two-thirds of the states that have gone through a ballot initiative to legal status. And we started a campaign in Ohio, pretty much the opposite of what happened in 15. It was only medical there was no monopoly guarantee for those of us that were funding the project. We had about a quarter of the budget needed versus what they were spending poorly on the one in 50. And we had a really good amendment written. We had about half of our signatures collected. And that's what stimulated the state to write the legislation that exists right now, which they started in March of 16 and completed in May of 16, which is an amazingly fast process for the state. Especially with a controversial subject that um, medical cannabis was in 16, still is a little bit, but far, far less. Especially in Ohio now, it's a reality as law, and any day now it'll be a reality as medical product available at dispensaries literally next week, uh, largely on the supply of our product, which is sitting from our first harvest, uh, waiting to be shipped. Mm -hmm. We have to wait for certain state approvals and for test labs to be up and operational, independent test labs, because they have to test our product. But we have our own lab that's equally equipped, but we have to have it tested on the outside as well. As soon as they're moving, we'll move product through probably in a matter of days, and we'll be shipping uh, hundreds of pounds of medical cannabis to the market. It'll be the first uh, major supply on the Ohio market and patients will finally have access. That's so exciting. It's very, very exciting. If we would take a walk around our operation, you'd see the level of excitement with our people. Yeah. Not just because of that, but just because they are thrilled to be part of an exciting, a revolutionary new industry in the state, one that will benefit hundreds of thousands of people in the state. It's um, the start of something big. As my wife, the historian, reminds me, historical. So you saw the opportunity in the cannabis industry? You went to Colorado and California, met with people that were in the industry already. How did you do that? And then how do you gauge someone that is like, okay, this is a person that I want to align with, or I don't really like this person's outlook on the industry. So I'm going to take what they said, but kind of one up it in my own way. So for example, for our cultivation advisor, uh, my partner Scott and I uh, started traveling to those states and a couple of others in um, the first quarter of 2016. So we started looking around before anybody else from Ohio. So we interviewed eight different potential cultivation advisors. We evaluated them by, uh, by looking at their crops and how they did things operationally. You know, some were 
pretty clean. None of them were as spotless as what yeah. you just looked at. Mm-hmm. Um, checked with you know people that they had worked with in the past, success level. We evaluated their success level in participating in applications in other states. Really, the final thing was we you know, sat down and hung out and talked to them and figured out who we could communicate with. And we made a selection that we would make 100 times out of 100, which was a company called Bickle and Company, a genius in cultivation named Matt Bickle, uh, and um, his associate Luke Batten, who comes here on a frequent basis, uh-huh. many times, many days a month, as we're getting you know past our first harvest that we did in uh, early December. Now we're starting our second one today. Mm-hmm. It's a great day for you to be here. Yeah, nice choice. We saved the day just to coincide with your visit. Yeah, of course. And uh, we should have you out there chopping plants instead of talking in here, because then we get some extra labor out of you. Yeah, but yeah, so we're more useful that way anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I'm not. I'm much better in here. If I go out there, I'll probably screw up the harvest. But I'll be participating with the team uh, tomorrow on Friday. Mm-hmm. Cool. But, so we picked, uh, you know, Bickle and Company because um, they have a great reputation. But we we really felt a communication and a and a bond and and uh, felt the magic with Matt Bickle and he and his team, Luke Batman specific, have delivered on that. There are things out of your control, especially in this current business, since it's state regulated. Mm-hmm. We do not control that. What we used to post and what we will start posting in the next week here are metrics, your quality rating. So in our in that first business experience of 18 years, the industrial distribution, by the end of, not by the end, in the last 10 years of operating that company, we would post our quality percentage based on what was rejected by our customer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So our quality percentage in the last years of that business were 0.9998. One or two parts rejected per million. You had some okay. Six Sigma engineers, 100%. We did, yes. And in fact, one of them now works for me and is running that part of this company. Well, so this is a level one manufacturing facility, correct? That's correct. So what are kind of the differences between that and the other ones that people are working with? Um, so there's two levels in Ohio. The definition is by square footage of cultivation. Mm-hmm. Is it 30,000? It's 25,000 25. for level one, and it's 3,000 for level two. Okay, so that provides you 10 times the amount of resources. What differentiates someone who gets the level one registration to someone who gets 3,000 square feet instead? Well, that was a choice of people that filed for the license. Okay. So we filed for the big license because that's what we wanted to go for. One of the major intricacies of the market, since it's not federally legal, there are some banking restrictions. How have you been able to manage that and where do you see that going in the future once it does become federally legal? So you've hit probably the number one challenge in the business. Because uh, we started so early at this in 16, one of the first things that I started doing was try to cultivate a bank relationship in Ohio. So we were fortunate enough about a year and a half ago to actually establish a banking relationship, which we still enjoy, uh, and our bank's happy with us. Uh, We intend to grow with them, and uh, it appears they intend to grow with us. Uh, There aren't very many banks in Ohio that are willing to do that. So they're regional? Uh, They're a state chartered bank. Uh, There's a couple other banks now that are expressing interest and accepting customers, and we'd expect that to grow. But along the way, um, it's a real hassle. 
big national banks won't touch you. I've had you know bank accounts shut down because I was I've invested in other places in the industry starting in sixteen. You know, didn't think about it. Yeah, it has and to come like, from well, the you right place. Well, you can't do this through our bank. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. shutting your account down. I'm like, okay, now what am I, now what am I going to do? <laughs> so you figure it out. You know, right. you scramble, but it's a really huge challenge. And those second, but oh, yeah, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. What's next? I was going to say that those restrictions could be entirely eliminated in the future. If it were in legal fact, everywhere around the country, the big banks would run to the bigger farms, right? Uh, yes. The fact is, any bank can do this business. They just have to put in an investment in compliance. Uh, because they have to do a much higher level of compliance for all of our transactions. So it's a cost to banks. Right. But uh, the bigger banks, I think, are more worried about their you know, corporate customers and stuff and mm-hmm. uh, feel that uh, handling a cannabis company would be, uh, you know, would be offensive to yeah, it's not some quite of their big corporate enough. customers. Yeah, anyway, so the second biggest hurdle financially is IRS tax code called 280E. It basically prevents cannabis companies from taking normal business deductions that other companies take on a daily basis. So we're taxed at an effective rate that's 10 or 15% higher than a normal mm-hmm. uh, company. So that's a severe Do you know, alcohol companies feel you get the same, get the same no, treatment? No, no other company does. Interesting. Um, and then the third biggest hurdle is uh, systems, IT systems. Okay. The IT systems in this industry are, are uh, below average. It's a unique uh, IT requirement because the state regulations that all states have. Yeah, the money might not be there to build the infrastructure quite yet because not enough people are doing it to pay for it, right? What would... It's, it's probably part of it, but I don't think that's particularly true anymore because it's such a big industry now. It's in 33 states and... Uh, it's a $10 billion plus legal industry in the U.S. So you would think somebody would invest in it. We right. thought about doing it, but mm-hmm. uh, we have enough. We've got our hands full. Yeah. So those, those are three really big challenges. What would the ideal IT solution accomplish in the industry? So a couple of things that you have to accommodate are state regulations that are basically different state by state. Uh-huh. Challenges for, for getting a, a good software system is that you get these state-by-state differences. Yeah. Um, you have to track your product, uh, what uh, we call seed to sale. It has okay. to be able to follow your, your uh, plant from the uh, seed or clone stage through all the growth stages, through trimming, through drying, through curing, through packaging, over to the customer, across the counter, into the patient's hands, and then the tracking is done. But that's a complicated system mm-hmm. and is unique to this industry. For example, if we get our extraction, extraction processor license, that you know original plant could be broken down to flour in half a dozen different package modes. Some of that same plant could go to an oil extraction process. When the oil is extracted, that oil could go into dozens of different products, products whether it's a vapor pen cartridge mm-hmm. or a lotion or an edible product. So there's a and lot of classifications that you have to make in processing all of this. Yeah, you have to follow it yeah. through every step That's until the- it gets to that dispensary and across the counter. It's one of the spaces where I think voice will offer the most value because you will be able to talk about specific 
groups of products and figure out what stage they're in from starting at the beginning and someone taking it home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey Google or Alexa, what stage is plant 376 in? And you find out it's in the harvesting stage, but you might also find out that it's already uh, waiting to be sold on the shelf. Yeah. It's in these 38 different stages. Right. And it sits in Chillicothe, Columbus, Toledo, Zanesville, you know, and 13 other cities. So you're picking up new ways to interact with it slowly over time as more research comes out, or have you known about all of these processes from the jump? So we've known all the processes, uh, but there still is not a good tracking system. So Mm -hmm. we're currently evaluating a new new system to put in. We've been through a dozen of them already, not using them, but evaluating them. We've been through uh, one using, and we're going to have to move on from it Mm -hmm. already. Okay, so and we've only been operating since July. After looking at those twelve, say this product offers five features and things that it accomplishes. Which one of them provides most of the value? What's the well? The seed to sale done? tracking yeah. would be the first, you know, basic value. But um, if it's capable of tying that tracking system into the state tracking system, because the state has a separate mm-hmm. tracking system, state of Ohio's system is called Metric. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's used in a lot of different states, Okay, but none of these systems uh, that we've looked at so far interface directly with metric. Yeah. So we're essentially, we are running two separate systems. Wow. So when, when the, the state requires barcoding, not an RF system, which is what we would have used. So when you move a plant, you have to barcode it twice. And the purpose of all of this is to assure that if something bad were to happen, you could pinpoint where it came from and how to prevent it. That's an important part of it. That happening is highly unlikely because of all the testing right. done, but uh, it happens here and there. It's um, to prevent diversion of product, uh, illegal diversion of product, mm-hmm. so that you know where the product is at, at all times and it's remaining in legal channels. People ask me about that sometimes, and I'm like, uh, we're going to be the most compliant company in the United States because I know I won't do well in prison. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to try that out. Yeah. But uh, um, it's a good reputation to have. Yeah. And our, in fact, we were, uh, we've been first in the state in a number of things. But uh, in addition to the score we got on our license application, one of them uh, was being the first certified to operate. So when we were mm-hmm. inspected on July 30, we were for compliance, mm-hmm. we received zero uh, deficiencies mm-hmm. in that inspection. We're inspecting it 90 days later. So around November 1st, I can't remember the exact date, and again, zero deficiency inspection. So that's one of our goals is Mm -hmm. to continue to comply with the state regulations at a zero deficiency level. Do you do that from a Six Sigma perspective where you're looking at potential things that might go wrong and how you could prevent them? We do. We're just starting to be able to do that because of, uh, you know, just time you know, only recently had our first harvest and now having our second. Yeah. So we're now, you know, able to start doing that kind of stuff. What is the biggest intricacy that applies to this market that other horticulture industries don't see? Certainly the state regulation aspect. The plant is very finicky. The plant's very delicate. Uh, You know, we do three room fulls of adult plants. Some people have that same volume in 20 rooms. Okay. The reason they do that is because uh, if they contaminate one room and lose it, oh. they're not going to lose that much. But you can lose a room yeah. a day of contaminant, yeah. you know, like mold, 
hermaphrodite plant uh, in catastrophic inseminating all the other female plants and uh, turning them into males or hermaphrodites. And, yeah. You know, producing seedy flour that nobody will really want. You know, that's that's the ultimate disaster yeah. Yeah. plan is to prevent losing a room because we've planned 16 harvests for 2019. Mm -hmm. So, you know, losing just one of those is a big percentage hit right. on our business. There is a balance to it, though, in that with each new room that you add, you probably have less plants per square foot, right? Mm -hmm. We cultivators in Ohio that are, you know, that have a lot wrapped up in the business and that are interested in the patients of Ohio and interested in making this the best program in the United States. And we're, we're driven because we're in the middle of it. So I think the local aspect is very important. The fact that we'll be a small organization and we'll be able to be nimble and quick sure. in our decision making and, yeah. and effective in communicating to state government and uh, to the market in general and to patients, you know, I think that you know, it'll be a lot more easy to have an impact from that standpoint. Is there anything that differentiates Ohio from other places as a tactical advantage? It starts with the way the state has set up the program, the legislation. They started by putting together a real responsible list of illnesses. So that's a fairly comprehensive. It happens to be in a process of evaluation right now where many of us are suggesting additional uh, illnesses to be added. The one I'm uh, most in favor of adding is opiate addiction. And I'm amazed at uh, the exposure that uh, people your age and my children's age have to things like uh, heroin. Uh, when I grew up and I was your age, we never saw heroin or were barely aware of it. You know, it was something that was far distant. You know, now it's everywhere. It's at every level. It's, it's in the CEO's office. Not this one, by the way. <laughs> it's in the CEO's one. office, you know, and it's in families I know. Buckeye Relief can can do something to bring forward the fact that our product is an agent to alleviate opiate, opiate addiction, mm -hmm. uh, to help people step down. And uh, so that's that's one specific goal that we have. Do you imagine yourself stepping outside of the boundaries of medical use if it were to be recreationally legal? We'll see how the market develops. It's likely that there'll be a movement towards recreational in Ohio at some point. Right. What we would like to do would be contribute to that conversation so that the approach is as responsible and, and well-reasoned and well-structured uh, as possible. That makes sense. But at the moment, the mission, make, make Ohio the best medical marijuana state. Yeah, that's correct. That's, that's what we would like to do as Buckeye Relief and also as part of that new organization that we're talking about. Can you distribute outside of Ohio or just, just Ohio? Nobody can cross state lines okay. because of the federal Ah, Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. So every state is a silo. We've now started generating data by plant mm -hmm. that does monitor uh, health by plant. We don't happen to use soil, by the way. but uh, So one strain, so we have 110 strains in mm -hmm. our bank. So... The, the thing with this plant, it's so unique and uh, delicate. If you grow 100 plants out of the same strain, uh, 20 of them could be six feet plus high, and 20 of them can be three feet high. Mm. The same strain planted at the same time on the different exact flower same production. conditions, different flower production as a result. Mm -hmm. The bigger one the produces yeah. more, but same genetics, 
and same variables. And so that's something, you know, Very that cool. my crew is trying to trying to get a grip around also. Mm-hmm. And we work with our national guys. They don't know. Yeah. They don't know why that happens. Either. Really? So it's a unique, uh, you know, you go into other, I don't know if you've been to other horticultural uh, facilities like lettuce or, you know, herbs or something. But you, you'll see like tens of thousands of, of lettuces that look exactly the same. You know, we haven't figured that out in this industry okay. yet. Do you imagine that each strain will have a particular use? So if there's uh, over 20 illnesses, there are five that are good for that and seven mm. that are good for that. And there's these different qualities that they all have that might make it more helpful for a specific problem that someone has. Yeah. So that's the goal. We have a medical advisory board and that mm. is okay. one of our basic goals of that advisory board is to start connecting strains to illnesses. There's almost no such information existing in the world today. Okay. When I started this business and this effort back in 16, one of my main goals was to not just build a really great business, but to leave a medical footprint behind when we're done here. Mm-hmm. And, and that Legacy. is one of the base goals to try to do. What helps Parkinson's, et cetera. So if we can create a library of, of that and then figure out how to reproduce those genetics consistently, mm-hmm crop by crop, year by year, Yeah, um, that'll be a big success. That for, data for will be more valuable than I think your entire operation. If you, data is the new currency, if you can project the future with your data and what strain is good with which illness, that is in itself, you win. That's a win. Financially and for society. Okay, last question. It's weird the way that my family members now talk about the industry, Mm -hmm. where two years ago they were on the opposite side. Because it was a black market thing. Yeah, now it's legal. Now Now it's a regulated mm -hmm. legal thing. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the big changes I feel like is that people are going to be getting plants from an amazingly safe place like this instead of who knows where it came from before. That's a really good point. There's a few real basic market benefits of the legal program in Ohio and elsewhere in the United States. And that's, to me, the first uh, key one. Mm-hmm. Any, anybody that wants to get cannabis can get cannabis really easily. And, the, you know, the baggie is there and the guy tells you what it is and you trust the guy, then you don't know what you got and you don't know what's in there. Our product will have a label on every container uh, that not only has... Uh, the THC content, CBD content. It will also um, show that the product's been tested for any kind of pesticides, Mm -hmm. for metals, and for about 15 other contaminants. Mm -hmm. So you know you're getting an uncontaminated product when you get Buckeye Relief uh, BR brand product. Mm -hmm. And you know what strain it is, and you know what content it has in it. You don't know what's in that anonymous black market baggie. To me, that is a really, really key part of the the quality control of this business. The legal aspect is obvious. This is a legal, controlled, regulated um, market with fees, you mm-hmm. know, to the state, to the city, through legal dispensaries. You have to go through a legal process to get your card, so you're not dealing in a black market transaction anymore. Are there? So I think those two differentiations are really, really important. For the plant itself, are there uses outside of the flower? Uh, there is a secondary use for what is called the trim, which is the residue that comes off the flower. 
when you're in the drying and curing and trimming process. That part of the product is, is we keep and we will sell to processors that will take it through extraction to oil. Um, the stalk, the leaves, all that stuff has no content and is destroyed. What are you most excited about it going forward? It may be 2019, but it could be farther into the future. You know, I'll tell you, I'm excited that I'm an old guy like this and I get to do this and watch this grow and start this. Uh, I started from zero, you know, way back, you know, on the strength of some great teams and really, really hard work. Now I get to do this. I get to do this with a good friend of mine. I get to watch not only a contribution to medical benefit of, of a bunch of patients in Ohio, and if we get to what we were just discussing, you know, globally, I also get to watch all these young people grow really fast inside of the company. I'm going to give you an example. So we had a young lady who started as our first cultivator assistant, trimming plants, doing um, manual horticultural work in the in the plant rooms. Less than six months later, she's our assistant director of cultivation. Wow. So her life is different. It's better. I love watching that happen. And I've watched that happen you know, for decades. Mm-hmm. And so that comes from you know building a business. I look forward to the unbelievable attitude of the people that work here. People come in here and they visit and they, they say two things. They say what I mentioned before. They said, like, this is an unbelievable facility you have here. And then they're like, and everybody's smiling back there. And I'm like, how do you do that? I'm like, well, we create a nice environment, but these people are pretty motivated to be in this revolutionary industry in the yeah. state of Ohio. It's the only work environment that smells like that. <laughs> that too. And, uh, it's, and unfortunately, they smell like that when they drive home. So <laughs> uh, we've got letters in their cars that explain why in case they get mm-hmm. pulled over. But uh, it'll be a, a victory for me five years from now. We've got a company that's expanded and we've made big strides on the medical side. We've helped make the Ohio industry best in the United States. One of the big centers of a Venn diagram when you compare the industry that you're in and the industry that we are in is that the rules are unestablished. And one of the amazing aspects of that is as long as you aren't harming anyone else, it kind of means that you can go about it your own way. Because traditionally, um, I went to school for finance and a lot of the laws within that industry um, have been tested over decades and decades. But we get to play the role of the experimenters being the first people to figure out a good way to do something. And I think that's been the most interesting aspect for me that makes it so I'm excited to go learn more about it. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys are into something really, really exciting. Uh, I have kids a little bit older than you Mm -hmm. in their 20s. And when they were little, it became very common, fashionable for schools to start to promote failure. Look, it's okay to fail. Make sure you fail because you're going to learn so much by failing. I I want to emphasize something. I've never been into failing. I think failing is really overrated. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think uh, if you try new things and they don't all work, that's an educational process. Mm -hmm. But I've I've always gotten a kick out of how... uh, how you guys have all been brought up, you know, to fail. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously you guys have not failed. You're doing great. And I think what you're doing with your business ventures and your uh, podcast and everything is, is very dynamic. And I commend you on all that. I think succeeding is a lot more fun. Well, I don't know much about voice. Uh, you know, you've educated me more than anybody. 
I just suggest you keep grinding and grinding and grinding. That that uh, example I use of you know facing crisis, just keep blowing through it. I'm sure you guys are facing obstacles every single day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't. I'm you know looking at you. I've just met you, but I can see I don't have to advise you on how to keep moving forward. But uh, you know when it gets really grinding and and hard, mm-hmm. you know you just keep acting. You know, yeah, keep yeah. the action going. Don't freeze. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any social media or websites that you'd want the listeners to go to? Well, just go to BuckeyeRelief.com and uh, follow us. Okay. You can watch our plants grow and watch the company grow.